You're listening to audio from First Christian Church. To find out more about us or to donate to our ministries, visit firstabq.org. Good morning and welcome to First ABQ. You can find your seats. I'm going to make you jump out of them in just a minute. But we are here in the foothills of the Sandia Mountains in Albuquerque, New Mexico. And we are First Christian, a group of people that is intently laser-focused on following Jesus. And we invite you into that journey with us. Whether you're joining us online, live in the flesh, or are thinking and praying about us and watching this at another time. We're so glad that you're here. Now, often I'll have conversations with people, and, and they'll be talking about someone very important in their life that doesn't get it. They just don't get it. Maybe they're not getting a job, not getting their life together. Maybe they don't have relationships together. Maybe they just haven't got it when it comes to God, and they're frustrated that Things just are not as they should be. Now, last week, you might have felt like you were one of those people that just didn't get it as I virtually dragged a stump, a dry, cut-down tree stump, into the room and said, you know, that's what we need to add to our Christmas decorations. You probably asked yourself, who is this guy? What is he talking about? Why would we do that? Well, I want us to be thinking about these tree stumps, and we'll do more with that today. Last fall, uh, I received a gift from this church when my father passed away. It was a peace lily plant. And we had lots of flowers and things that we sorted between the family members to send home. And that peace lily was going to come home with me. I liked it. Put it in the car and brought it home. And Amanda, our children's minister, said, you need to call it Dino. Call it, call it, give it a nickname. And she was talking about something that she'd done with her father. So I would water Dino and turn and make sure he got sun. And, you know, as the days and weeks went on, he lost leaves and looked worse. And it didn't matter what I did to where it was just getting down to just a few little leaves. And that kind of has, you know, multiple frustrations, right? You think, what am I doing here? And Amanda saw it and she's like, well, here, this is what you need to do. And she did a few things and it didn't resuscitate Dino. I don't, know, I don't know what it is. I mean, it's one of those frustrating things, and uh, it wasn't too long before I noticed in at our door appeared another peace lily. I'm pretty sure that was Amanda making sure that Dino was replaced. Now, I think this church has a green thumb because Stacy Sturgis, some of you might know her, she began telling me about uh, a fig tree that she has, and she was going to break off a twig of that fig tree and plant it in the ground. That's what she did planted in the ground, watered this twig, and then she brought it to us. And from this stick that she had carefully watered came a fig tree. Now, by the time the freeze came last fall, uh, I'm sad to say that all the leaves were off and we assumed that we'd killed it. So what, what, what is it about plants that they come and they go and sometimes they have a certain resiliency? But how long... Can a twig expect to live? Really? How long can you water a twig and expect life from it? Here's where I'm going to invite you to participate with me. I'm going to make you stand back up if you're so inclined. Otherwise, if if you're not where you can stand, stand at attention in your heart. Sit up straight wherever you're sitting and listen to these prophecies from the 11th chapter 
of Isaiah. A shoot shall come up out of the stump of Jesse, and a branch shall grow up from his roots. The Spirit of the Lord shall rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of the knowledge and the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be the fear of the Lord. He shall not judge by what his eyes see, nor decide by what his ears hear, but with righteousness. He will judge the poor and decide with equity for the meek of the earth. He shall strike the earth with the rod of his mouth, and with the breath of his lips he'll kill the wicked. Righteousness shall be the belt around his waist, and faithfulness the belt around his loins. The wolf shall lie down with the lamb. The leopard shall lie down with the kid goat. The calf and the lion and the fatling together, and a little child shall lead them. The cow and the bear shall graze, and their young shall lie down together. The lion shall eat straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play over the hole of the asp, and the wean child shall put its hand in the adder's den. They will not hurt or destroy on all my holy mountain, for the earth will be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. On that day, the root of Jesse shall stand as a signal to the people. The nations shall inquire of him, and his dwelling shall be glorious. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now this is an interesting set of prophecies here in Isaiah chapter 11. Two prophecies, in fact. They're kind of like two different paintings that are hung side by side. One, this stump imagery of a cut-down tree, and the other, kind of an eye-catching image of children and animals playing together. I want to look at that second one first, because it's the one that catches our attention. How is it that vicious animals and children can hang out together? A, a fluffy lamb and a lion? A bear grazing alongside of a cow? Ba bears don't graze. Lions don't graze. Are you kidding me? They don't need straw. They need meat. This is a crazy kind of image. I mean, some of you parents might like to think about animals being babysitters for your kids. That'd be a lot cheaper, a lot easier. Just leave your children with the animals. Let them take care of them. Grandparents might sit back and think, you know, this would be good. No life insurance policies, no health care insurance policies for children under the 18. This, this is a great picture. But for a lot of us, as we look at this second painting, it kind of almost seems cartoonish, mythical. It can't really happen. It can't be real. And yet, as we look closer at this utopia that almost looks like a Care Bear-type reality, we see that it's not a fanciful picture that is the way it is because it is. It's that way because the knowledge of God has covered the earth. Like water covers the earth. Knowing who God is. Well, that utop utopian kind of picture may not appeal to you at all. You may think, okay, that just sounds a little too peaceful, a little too cute. There's too many rainbows and care bears. Not interested in that. I'm interested in the reality of that first painting, that painting of the stump, 
And why is it next to this painting of the rainbows with the lions and the lambs laying together? In that, second, in that first picture, it's more real. It's a stump. Life sometimes does feel cut down. And from that stump, you know, you get a sense of there's nothing left of that tree. It's days of bearing fruit, they're over. Casting shade over someone sitting under its branches, that's over. This tree can't even provide lumber for a fire to keep you warm. It's just a stump. But from that stump comes a green shoot that pops up. And we get described an action hero, a strong Marvel character quality action hero who comes in and with his breath, and not bad breath, but with his breath, knocks out the wicked, who's powerful and strong. And some of us are drawn to this image. That's the one that can make the utopia, right? Bring in the business executive. Bring in the military leader. Bring in some kind of a powerful religious leader. And then you'll have your clean parks and your green grass. And then you'll have something that can provide safety for you. You have this kind of an action hero who's blind and deaf. I know that doesn't sound like a good action hero, but it's kind of like Lady Justice. You've seen Lady Justice with the blindfold on, the scales of justice in her hand. If Lady Justice were an app, she would have no pictures. That's right. And no audio. Because when she looks at a case like this person in the prophecy, they're not paying attention to what someone's wearing or their background or their education. They're blind and deaf to those things and focused entirely upon justice. Well, why are these two paintings together? They don't seem to rhyme. They don't fit a stump with Care Bears and Rainbows. It's like Vin Diesel and Judge Judy blended together. How does this fit? Does it even fit? I mean, I don't know what you're drawn to, but whenever Jewish people heard this passage, they heard it hoping for the glory days. Looking back, they wanted a reestablishment of the throne of David. As they're being dominated by the country of Assyria, and as they will face the downfall of the northern kingdom, it'll be a few hundred years later and they'll see the fall of the southern kingdom and Jerusalem and the temple pulled apart. They'll try to build the temple back up after captivity. And point to that and say, we're back. Even in the time of Jesus, Herod completed his massive renovation of the temple. There's kind of a looking back, looking forward, if you're a Jew reading this text. Within a few decades of Jesus' life, that same temple was pulled apart stone by stone. Sacrifices no longer offered, and it has not been that way since. Now you might be ahead of me, because as Christians look at this old text that comes seven or eight centuries before Jesus, they think of Jesus, right? That's what we hear. Here comes the fulfillment of prophecy, that Jesus is here, he is among us. This passage fits Jesus like the glass slipper fits Cinderella, like a custom crown on top of the Queen of England's head. We're not waiting on the king. The king has arrived. We're not waiting on land or geography. This has come in Jesus. Now, Jesus didn't come as we expected, even as the people of Israel expected. 
not as a strong, powerful military leader or business leader, not as one that came with strength, but one looking out for the poor, for the meek, the overlooked, the voiceless. Now we get to this point and you wonder, well, what does all this have to do with me? How, how do these old words that were seven, eight hundred years prior to Jesus fit with me? I mean, it's a good question. It's one that we should ask because if you look at the words, they don't really say to do anything, do they? There's no, here are your seven steps. This is keys to life in the third millennium from Isaiah chapter 11. It's not imperative. It's not easily seen what we're supposed to do. There's no imperative. And yet, as I look at this passage, it's pure good news. It's pure good news in the sense of what God does that we can't do. That's truly the essence of good news. When there's something that God gives to you or does for you that you cannot do on your own. So you almost have to just stand back and be thankful for what God has done from this passage. And look at it and see what Jesus has done. There's nothing that we can do to enhance it, but we can echo it. We can reflect it. Now, if you look closer, I wonder if our response is not actually there. It is there. That who Jesus is describes who we ought to be. This prophecy from God, if this is the world that God intends, if this is the kind of existence that God wants, well, maybe we ought to work towards that existence, right? If God wants to bring these difficult things to rest and to peace, maybe we should work for that. If God wants to fill the earth with knowledge of Him, shouldn't we at least begin to pursue the knowledge of God in our own life, in our own heart, our own mind? If we're to be this towering tree, this signal to the nations of what God is up to, if our wisdom is supposed to be the kind that outsiders come and say, we want to know more, are we pursuing that kind of wisdom? Well, this is what I want us to look at, because I do think it provides a template for us. Maybe not in the way that we expect, where we see the kind of king that Jesus was prophesied to be, the kind of king that he was, and that's the template for our lives. That my mouth is going to embody these principles. That my hands, my body, my genitals, my mind, all about me is going to pursue this. So let's look at a few of these, okay? I've got a couple that I want to point out, and the first one is knowledge of God. We've already said it a few times, to pursue the knowledge of God. Now when I hear that, it almost sounds like we're getting ready for some test. Like we're going to get to the pearly gates in the clouds, and we're going to have to sit down at a wooden desk with a number two pencil and fill out the knowledge of God standardized test. Do you feel that way? Like somehow we have to know something about God? Well, sure, it includes knowledge and information, things that we can know about God. But that's not exactly the kind of knowledge we're talking about. We're talking about relational knowledge. Knowing who God is, treating God as a friend, letting God befriend us. In fact, the word for knowledge here is a word for sexual intimacy. 
whoa, whoa, wait a second. I'm at the pearly gates at the wooden desk with my number two pencil, and now we're talking sex? Wait, whoa, whoa. When you talk about knowledge of God, you're talking about that kind of interactive intimacy, of knowing God and being known by God. That takes it to a whole different level. A knowledge that makes us maybe even think about marriage. The give and take that's there. The adjustment, the adaptation. The love that's given when sometimes it's hard to give love. Here at First Christian, this knowledge of God guides who we are. That we're trying to be in the presence of God. We're trying to say those things that, that God said through Jesus. Studying the Word. Listening to teachers who are reflecting the insights and truths of Scripture. Doing the things that Jesus did. Enacting the world that God envisions right here and now, not waiting for later, but now in the present moment. And going, sometimes going into uncomfortable relationships with our enemies. Maybe beginning to lay down with the lions and the leopards and feeling like a fluffy lamb that's about to get eaten. What are those places that God is calling you to go into? Well, that's knowledge of God. There's another one that's kind of bigger. In fact, in verse 2 and verse 3, what Alyssa read to us so well, it's kind of a passage that almost could be tucked away and memorized. These pairs of words, knowledge and understanding, counseling and might, knowledge and the fear of God. These words that represent something that's complementary. Wisdom in the sense of not just content and info, but a true knowledge that you can apply. Understanding that is like being able to not just know that an engine is in the car, but to be able to take it apart and put it back together. That kind of understanding of how things work, those fit together. Or counsel and might. Counsel in the sense of getting direction. How would we get our guidance and direction from God? And not just a plan, a blueprint that he hands us, but having the muscle, the strength to add that to the will to do, and not just the mind to do. And then finally, and maybe bigger, the fear of God and the knowledge of God. Knowledge of God we've already unpacked, but it shows up twice here. It appears multiple times. All through the fall, we looked at the fear of God, which doesn't mean terror, right? Can we nod our heads? It's not cowering and running away from God. It's a respect, a reverence for who God is. And awe. So what am I saying to you? If I could put it plain and simply, this description that's laid out for us as a prophecy of Jesus, that's thousands of years old, calls us into a life of being kings and queens. Kings and queens that are imitating and copying who Jesus is. Remember I told you last week about one of our children in Kids Club who's reading through the Old Testament? And they were saying, asking me the question, when is Jesus going to arrive? Well, this passage is one such passage where Jesus arrives and shows up. But maybe a more powerful one, a more potent one, is how Jesus arrives in you, in your heart, in your life. How would God, through you, spend your money? How would God use your car or your apartment? How could you roll out the red carpet for Jesus to live in your life in the here and now? 
I'm going to get a little bit more personal and give an example of this. Take this deeper. Because what we're describing is trying to be like Jesus. And I think a lot of us have offloaded maybe the kingship of our life to other agencies, maybe to what's on our phone, to streaming services, to entertainment that's out there. We're taking in a lot. Our time is consumed, but our minds are elsewhere. We're not present in the moment. We're, we've almost, it's almost like we've offloaded our entire family life to life before the screen, or even our own personal life to life before the screen. Back in August in the Wall Street Journal, Anne Lemke, who is a psychologist at the University of Stanford, wrote an article that was based upon her book about dopamine. The book is called Dopamine Nation. It's not one that I've read, but you can go and look at the article and see if it's of interest to you. She was having lots and lots of people come to her with anxiety, with depression, with all kinds of mental ailments. And she would just prescribe medicine because that's what she did. That was her job and her specialty. And then she began focusing more on dopamine. Now, you may not know what dopamine is. It's a very naturally produced chemical inside of the brain. It's a neurotransmitter. And it shows up whenever you have pain or pleasure. Dopamine's produced in your brain. And you can get a dopamine fix as you're clicking on the internet and someone likes your post or someone uh, shares your Instagram feed. Whatever, whatever it is, when you get those little affirmations, even in interpersonal relationship, there's a dopamine fix. And she began noticing that maybe we have too much dopamine. Because what happens is the brain doesn't know at first when dopamine appears, is it pain or is it pleasure? And so once you get to this dopamine high, it has to kind of recover, almost like a hangover or a comeback period of time. And sometimes when we feel that downward trend, we dive deeper into social media or whatever it is. It could be uh, some kind of stimulant or some other activity that makes us increase in dopamine. What happens then is that our body resets the level of norm at a higher and higher level where we need more and more, and yet we're just to get to the normal level. Well, that's kind of a long-winded side path, right? It's something to think about of what we water in our lives. The way that we spend our time forms us. And what struck me is that Anne is no longer prescribing, at first glance, antidepressants and, and things to help mental health, but she's saying, take a fast from screens for 30 days. Ooh, ouch. I mean, that would suck the air out of the room right there. Are you kidding me, Ann? No, that's what she subscribes. She prescribes to think about how you step away some short-term restraint, some short-term abstaining to increase for some long-term health. Now, I'm not prescribing that for you. I'm putting it out there as an example for you to think about in your life, what are the twigs that you are watering? What are you nurturing? What are you spending the most time listening to, fretting about, thinking about? What is that dry stump? And is it worthy of your attention? Whenever Sammy saw Dino looking really bad, and thankfully just before Dino was headed to the trash can, she said, let me take it. Sammy's our office administrator. 
she took Dino home, and I, I suddenly started getting pictures like Dino was at camp. <laughs> she would put Dino next to some other plants in the sun and water him and had all the dead cut out, and there was just nothing but stubble. And she would just water all through the winter last year. It was months and months. Well, wouldn't you know, on Easter week, Dino appears, green, all kinds of new leaves, resurrected. And she put a little note with Dino, new life happens in a number of ways. I love that. Someone that knows what to do and how to bring life back. Same thing with Stacy. You know, we tried to kill that fig tree. Would you believe it came back? It's back. And we have watered it and taken care of it. It's now in our garage. I don't know how long a twig can resurrect itself, but we'll see. We'll see what happens in the spring, if it can finally make its way into some New Mexico dirt and find life as a fig tree. At First Christian, we are people who follow Jesus. That is what we want to water and nurture in our lives. And sometimes the world might look at it and think, that's worthless. A cross? Are you kidding me? That's how we're supposed to guide our lives? For the world, it looks like a tree stump. But it's a part of something much bigger. A God whose love is uncontainable and will not be restrained. If we will water this and allow the commanding presence of Jesus to enter into our lives, to let Jesus arrive, really and truly, not just say we follow Jesus, but follow Jesus literally into the world that he is wanting to create and begin to create it in small ways. I want to be like Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to roll out the red carpet. And if that takes weaving that red carpet fiber by fiber, beginning to imagine what life looks like in new ways, that's what I want to do. This week, maybe we can be thinking about the twigs that we're watering with our lives. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the life that you have given us. We thank you for the life that you have sustained in us through Jesus. And we thank you for the new breath of the Holy Spirit that you breathe into us every day. God, we ask us, we ask you to help us as we roll out the red carpet for the arrival of Jesus, that we will welcome the birth that happened 2,000 years ago, that we will look with anticipation for the second coming of Jesus. And yet, that we will not overlook the third coming, the coming of Jesus into our hearts, into our lives, into our schedules. May we be your people now. We ask this of you in the name of Jesus, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God now and eternally. Amen.